You're listening to a Sunday service podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We're a faith community committed to racial justice, a place where we practice a deep and authentic welcome, where we listen deeply to where love is calling us next, and a place where with humility, courage, and compassion, we act for justice in the world. To learn more, please visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. Good morning, my name is Isabella, and I'm here today to tell you the story of Alma Sofia Esperanza Jose Pura Candela. Alma had a long name. Too long, she thought. Alma felt really sad about her name. She told her dad, it just doesn't fit. It's much too long for me. And he said, hmm, let me tell you the story of your name, and then you can decide if it doesn't fit. She came and she sat on his lap and he pulled her in close. He started. Sofia was your grandmother. She loved books, poetry, jasmine flowers, and most of all, me, your dad. She was the one who taught me how to read. And Alma said, oh my goodness, I also love poetry and flowers. And I also love you, dad. I am Sofia. Yo soy Sofia. Then he told her, Esperanza was your great-grandmother, your bisabuela. She wanted to travel, but she had never even left her own city. Her son, though, traveled all seven seas, and she lived through him because everywhere she went, her heart went along with him. Alma said, oh my goodness, I want to travel the world too. I am Esperanza. Yo soy Esperanza. José, her dad told her, was your grandfather, your abuelo. He was an artist with a big, big family. Every morning he would wake up very early and go to the mountain or to the plaza to paint pictures of the landscape or the people of the town. And sometimes he would even bring me along. Your abuelo was the one who taught me how to see and love our people. Alma said, oh my goodness, I am an artist too. I love to draw. I like to wake up early in the mornings and draw. Even this morning, Dad, I drew a little kitty for you. I am Jose. Yo soy Jose. Buddha, Alma's father went on, was your great aunt, your tia abuela. She always believed that the spirits of our ancestors were watching over us and protecting us. And when you were a little baby, she tied a red string around your wrist to protect you from evil spirits. And just like that, she will always be with you. Hola, Pura, it's me, Alma. Candela, Alma's dad went on, was your other grandma, your otra abuela. And she always, always, always stood up for what she believed in. Hey, that's just like me, said Alma. I always stand up for the things that I believe in. I am Candela. Yo soy Candela. I love the story of my name, said Alma. It's so beautiful. But where does Alma come from? Her dad smiled and answered, you are the first and only Alma. You will make your own story out of your name. Alma smiled and said, Gracias, Papa. Thank you, Dad. Alma Sofia Esperanza Jose Pura Candela is my name, and it fits me just right. I am Alma, and I have a story to tell. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much, Isabella. That story is just, just beautiful. Um, 
listening to it, hearing you share it, I was reminded a little bit of the story of my name. Um, so my name is Arif Bashir Mamdani. And my first name means um, good friend or honored guest, esteemed colleague. Uh, and my middle name is actually my father's first name. Uh, in my family, it is a tradition that um, the kids carry their uh, dad's first name as their middle name. Um, and that story just reminded me of just the ways in which we carry our ancestors with us sometimes in our names and the ways in which names can connect us to, um, you know, sort of a bigger picture. Um, I'm curious, is there a, a story with your name? Yeah, there is. Thanks for sharing your story, Arif. That's pretty cool. Um, my name is pretty long too. It's Isabella Delfina Alvarez Arris. And um, I'm from Ecuador. And in Ecuador, you most people get a first and a second name. So you always end up using your middle name, actually. So my middle name is Delfina. And that means dolphin in Spanish, which is pretty fun. Oh, my brother is actually named Emilio Lobo, which means wolf. So we both have like animal names. And it fits me perfectly because I love the ocean and I love swimming, like being playful. And then with my two last names, um, the way it works in Ecuadorian culture and a lot of Latin American cultures as well, is that you take first your father's last name and then your mother's. Uh -huh. So Alvarez is my dad's and then Arris is my mom's. And it's really cool because when women get married, they're not expected to change their names at all. You just sort of pass down your name to your children. So your children always have like your last name and your spouse's last name. Oh, wow. That is, that is wonderful. I love that. I love the ways that different cultures use names as a way sometimes to connect to history and to connect the future as well. Um, yeah. And I would offer that for the folks, uh, you know, um, uh, in worship with us today is, um, you know, if you haven't uh, connected in with your name, what your name means and how it connects you to, to past and to present and to future, I'd invite you, to, uh, invite you to, to think about that and maybe share that story with someone. And um, now we get to enjoy some music from Seth Matz. This song includes a familiar clapping pattern, so feel free to clap along with me. shall be known by the company we keep by the ones who circle around to tend these wires we shall be known by the ones who sow and reap the seeds of change alive from deep within the earth it is time now it is time now that we thrive it is time we lead ourselves into the well. It is time now, and what a time to be alive. In this great turning we shall learn to lead in love. In this great turning we shall learn to lead in love. We shall be known by the company we keep By the ones who circle around to tend these fires We 
We shall be known by the ones who sow and reap the seeds of change alive from deep within the earth. It is time now. It is time now that we thrive. It is time we lead ourselves into the world. It is time now, and what a time to be alive. In this great turning we shall learn to lead in love. In this great turning we shall learn to lead in love. So this morning, this morning I want to start by saying that I am speaking, preaching really, to our BIPOC and multiracial youth and grownups. And I want to share a couple of stories this morning from when I was growing up, because maybe it speaks to you, how you or your grownups or even their grownups grew up as well, and because it might also speak to how we you and I make this faith that we are part of. So I think I've shared with you all before that my parents were born in Tanzania and India, both countries that were colonized by the British. Both were educated in schools that were run by the colonizers. That means that they learned to speak and write and read British English, which is a bit different from American English. And because this is what they were taught, it's what they taught me. And so I grew up doing the things that you would do if you spoke British English. I spelled color, C-O-L-O-U-R, instead of C-O-L-O-R. I spelled flavor, F-L-A-V-O-U-R, instead of F-L-A-V-O-R. I spelled gray, G-R-E-Y, instead of G-R-A-Y, although I have to be honest, that one still confuses me more and more things like that, right? You get the picture. I spelled things a little differently. I also said things differently. And this one is a, a little bit harder to explain, although maybe, um, you know, if you're, uh, if you're one of our BIPOC or multiracial youth, ask one of your grownups to show you some uh, age-appropriate British TV shows, and you'll get a little bit of a sense of what I'm talking about. Make sure they're age-appropriate. So in other words, I was, I was taught to speak the English of the folks who had colonized my parents' countries and this country as well. And so you can imagine that when I got to school, it was a little uh, awkward. Kids made fun of me. Some of my teachers went out of their way to correct me, save the one teacher who recognized what was going on, what was up, and did a little lesson sort of on the spot for the whole class about why I learned English differently, which was both the first time that I really felt seen by one of my teachers and also incredibly embarrassing because I was the center of attention. You see, the thing with being colonized is that as Trevor Noah put it, it is the most arrogant form of patriotism. The colonizer says directly in so many different ways, you do not know the right, correct, good way to do things. The way I do things is better. My way is better and I will force you to do it my way. The colonizer claims to have discovered you, found this unknown territory, these unknown people, except that that's never actually true. No one 
can find another person, no inhabited territory is unknown. Colonization is the most arrogant form of interaction, period. Colonization erases people. And caught as I was between what my parents taught and what I was learning at school, I did a couple of things. One, I learned to make myself understood in multiple languages, multiple spellings, multiple ways of speaking. This was an early lesson in code switching. And I also became pretty shy and quiet. I hung back and I learned to distrust my own voice. The poet Nayira Wahid has a poem that I think speaks to part of this. She writes, you cannot remain a war between what you want to say, who you really are, and what you should say, who you pretend to be. Your mouth was not designed to eat itself. Let me read that again. You cannot remain a war between what you want to say, who you really are, and what you should say, who you pretend to be. You, your mouth was not designed to eat itself. And it's true. You cannot remain at war with yourself. Our mouths were not designed to eat themselves. But you can certainly try. And I know I have certainly felt that sense of swallowing myself, that tightness in my throat. Perhaps you have too. So, so I grew up in a state of some confusion, some tension. This is pretty normal for folks being raised in BIPOC and multiracial families, families where people have to cross boundaries, cross languages, cross borders, cross cultures. This is pretty normal in families of immigrants. We are moving back and forth and within boundaries and borders and languages and cultures, and it becomes pretty normal for us. And this is, of course, I think exactly what Nayira Wahid is writing about. And one of the many reasons that she says you cannot remain a war within yourself, between yourself. So that's the first story. I was taught by colonizers. I was colonized again when I went to school. And part of my work in life has been to unlearn, to use the voice that's mine not the voice of the colonizers. There's another story I want to share with you. It's also a story about moving between languages. So I told you that my dad grew up in Tanzania in East Africa and that my mom grew up in India. My dad's people were originally from India and so growing up in his house he learned uh, Kachi, Gujarati, and Hindi. These were all languages that were spoken in his house. These were the languages of his people. He also learned Swahili, the language of the country he was in, and he learned Urdu, which was spoken at the mosque. Then when he went to college in India, he also learned Marathi because it was the language of the part of India where he went to school, even though the language of school was British English. My mom, growing up in India in Maharashtra, learned Hindi because it was the national language and Marathi because it was the language of the state in India that she grew up in and the language of her people. And as she got to know my dad, she slowly started to learn Gujarati as well because my folks are nerdy like that. 
friends, if that sounds like a lot of languages between the two of them, it is. I count six. And then they moved to this country. They settled in a suburb of Chicago and they started a family. And like many immigrant families, they were conflicted about language. They wanted their kids to be American, whatever that meant. And so while we were young, they didn't make much of an effort to teach us any of the languages of our people. Isabella and I had a wonderful conversation about this yesterday. But here's the thing. My brother and I learned to understand Marathi in the same way that we understand English. There's no translation that's happening for us. We just understand it. So how did we do that if my parents had not put any effort into teaching us? Well, see, here's what happened. My, my brother and I, and this might surprise some of you, um, we got into a lot of trouble. We got into a lot of trouble. And uh, a lot of it was at my instigation. Now, my parents spoke Marathi at home with each other, and I think they sort of assumed that if they didn't teach us something, we wouldn't know it. So my brother and I would fight, we would break stuff, we would do all that stuff that kids do, and we would get in trouble, right? We'd get caught. And my, my parents would talk with each other in Marathi about what had happened and who did what and what they should ask which one of us to figure out what really happened and who they should punish and how they should punish, punish us. You know, the conversations that grown-ups have when they're trying to figure out what's up and like who should actually be in trouble and who started it. And they're doing this in Marathi, assuming that we don't know what's going on because they think we can't understand them. But here's the thing. My brother and I were the subjects of this conversation. We knew exactly what we had done. We knew exactly what we had done. We knew exactly what they were talking about, which means that over time, and it didn't take long, I cannot actually recall a time when I couldn't understand Marathi, we got to understand what they, what they were saying, and we got to understand it really pretty well. We also got really good at keeping a straight face and acting, acting like we were not paying attention at all. We'd just be sitting there reading the book. The whole time we're listening to what was going on. And we also got really good at slowly sneaking away if the conversation seemed like it wasn't going in the direction that we hoped it would go if the conversation wasn't going well for one of us uh, in hopes that we might sneak away and that our parents would forget. The whole time though, we were listening. We were listening and we were paying attention and we were picking up all kinds of things that my folks did not know we were learning. At some point, at some point they worked out that we could understand what they were saying. I have a vague memory of my mom looking up, seeing me grinning at some joke she had made in Marathi and saying to my dad, these kids can understand us. And then she made another joke and I started laughing and then it was all over. <sighs> Folks, my brother was so 
annoyed. He was like, we had the best thing going here and you had to screw it up. He used slightly different language. And of course, being that they knew six languages between them, their response was just to switch languages. So once they were like, oh, these kids understand Marathi, we're gonna switch to, we're gonna switch to Hindi. And so my brother and I learned a little bit of Hindi. And when they saw that we had caught on to that, they would switch to Gujarati. And by then we were teenagers and it was a moot point because they couldn't really punish us effectively anymore anyway. So why am I telling you, why am I telling you this story? Well, one, one is that I want to know you. I have been here for about a year and I want to know you. And for me to know you, you all need to know me. The other reason that I'm sharing these stories is that I want to lift up and support one of the really important ways that we learn things as children of immigrants, as BIPOC and multiracial folk, which is by watching and learning and paying attention. It is, a, it is a critical way of knowing. It is a critical survival skill that we develop so that we can understand what's happening around us and navigate it as best as we can. The other reason that I wanted to share these stories about language, about identities, about moving between cultures is that in a couple of weeks, we are going to have two more BIPOC folk join the staff team. In August, Julika and Barrington will be joining the team, and I cannot tell you how excited I am that they're joining us. I said the other day in a meeting we were in that I already feel like I miss them. I already miss them, and they haven't even started with us yet. That's how much I'm looking forward to this. So come August, you all are gonna be served by a ministry team that has four BIPOC folk on it. I'm not sure that that exists in another large UU church. Each of us is different. And yet I know that each of us has experience in some different and some similar ways with moving between languages, moving between cultures, and in a way, moving between names, like in that story that Isabella shared with us this morning. I am excited for the ways that we will work together, us on staff, you in the congregation. I am excited for the ways that we will work together to name and claim the Unitarian Universalism that we dream of. I'm excited for the ways that we will name and claim the Unitarian Universalism that we dream of. So let's get to it, friends. May it be so, and amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We are a welcoming community that finds strength in the diversity of identities of all who find inspiration and comfort here. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting our ministry. 
text first univ that's f i r s t u n i v to 73256 to make your gift to learn more visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org